Before we begin today's episode, we would like to say thank you to our sponsor, Swanshaw. They are the finest purveyors of kitchen units and shop fronts alike in the UK. If you need a brand new kitchen or a new shop front, please consider visiting Swanshaw on Instagram. You can find them under the handle of at Swanshaw. Now to today's episode. Good evening and welcome to another episode of The Therapy Files. I'm here with my colleague Callum and of course we do have a guest with us this evening. How are you Callum? I am very well, thank you Craig. How are you? I'm alright and our guest is Fran, Fran Ellis, who I went to university with. We are long-time friends from Approaches to Literature, if I remember correctly. How are you yep. Fran? Are you well? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Excellent. Well, this evening we're going to be talking about social media and mental health. And this topic was suggested to me a couple of weeks ago by Fran herself. So I might just pop you on the spot there, Fran, and just say what made you recommend the topic of social media and mental health? I think social media, I've always sat on the fence whether I found it a negative or positive influence on mm-hmm. people's health. I think predominantly I started to think this way throughout lockdown because I've obviously not been able to contact friends or family as well as I should have um, and I think it's just a bit strange because we can't go about our normal way of life mm. but, but um, I find that I've been using social media more to contact others that's that's a really positive use for social media I mean there are so many good uses for social media but I would also say there are a few difficult uses of social media people do misuse it so why don't you tell us a little bit about what you did during lockdown and social media and how you used it to your advantage i'd say probably a lot i overuse the uh, zoom quizzes oh, very good. i think i'm quizzed out love a good quiz <laughs> so i think if you ever need anyone to help with a pub quiz let me know after lockdown great change excellent. great change from excellent excellent i like um, quiz too i was also thinking about what you did in terms of the mental health for other people yeah um like creating a positive environment for other people has always been something i feel quite strongly about yeah um i've worked quite heavily in mental health before with young people um, between 13 to 18 mm-hmm. and I think especially in young people where some adults you put basically your whole life onto social media I think it's quite important that we allow positive influences to them just because growing up is quite a strange time anyway mm-hmm. yeah I completely agree with that mm-hmm. and would you say as somebody that's worked with children would you say that you've seen them use social media while you've been working with them? Yeah, um, I'd say more so Instagram and TikTok are the biggest ones. And mm-hmm. Snapchat, I'd say Snap. I'd say out of the three, TikTok's probably the more positive one. Um, yeah. In terms of there's quite a lot of influencers who try and use their platform more calmly and mm-hmm. put through positive messages to young people. Whereas I find Snapchat negative in terms of inappropriate messages inappropriate photos mm-hmm. yeah i mean we did we did have tiktok on the list and snapchat to discuss this evening but there is also things like facebook and 
dating apps, Tinder, Plenty of Fish and Grinder. But there's also like MSN and MySpace, which is a bit of a throwback from the 90s to the noughties for Callum, I should imagine. And also for you, Fran, because I think you were in the 90s as well, weren't you? Yeah, I do miss MSN. I'm not going to lie. I love MSN. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I like MSN. You would be nudging me all the time, wouldn't you, Craig, if you could use MSN? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You have miss MySpace, though, for the emo days. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I mean, I think I had a MySpace profile as well. Um, I actually didn't believe it or not. Did despite, you not? Despite, that might that might that might go against the stereotype, but no, I, I didn't. Even though I was I was a massively massive emo kid. You look at my my uh, my, my various hair color changes and, and old profiles through through from from years past. Yeah. Um, oh, don't worry, I've already looked. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Lincoln, to what you said, Callum, just do you think certain social medias have stereotypes to people, such as you'd use like. MySpace for say Gribos, alternative people, and you might use like Instagram for the more like popular culture. Yeah, Fran, no, I completely agree with you. I think I think that's a really good point, and I think certain um, certain social media platforms attract a certain type of person, and that's not a criticism. It's more that. I would say that people, I suppose certain people are more um, followed in certain areas, such as Instagram. You know, if you convey a certain way, for example, the I think they call themselves the influencers, for example, you know, they're very, very massive on Instagram, aren't they? Whereas if you look look to other places like Twitter, that's another that's another interesting place because kind of with Twitter, there's kind of a, a massive culture of um, of opinion there, isn't there as well? And kind of you get people from all walks of life on Twitter. And I actually don't use it, believe it or not. I don't use Twitter. But from what I know from my bullying literature and from what, what I think it is, is it, uh, it attracts a whole range of people, whereas it feels kind of like Instagram and other ones um, attract a certain type of person. And then maybe I fall into that because I, I do quite use, I probably use Instagram more than any other social media platform. Mm-hmm. Is there a specific reason you don't use Twitter, Callum? Um, no, Craig, actually. No, I just never, never <laughs> brutally honest. I, I'm a very opinionated person and I'm, I'm very, um, I don't, I don't have anything against Twitter personally. I just never fancied it and just never, never, um, never caught grabbed me really. Um, I just, use, I literally just use Instagram predominantly. I use Facebook obviously more to message you, but um, that's about it really. I don't really use, I don't really use Facebook unless, unless I'm posting something to do with my daughter. Maybe I'd use Facebook a little bit more then. But I was, I was wondering, Craig, as well, kind of for people not not kind of familiar with the because i kind of for a lot of people social media has now become their norm obviously for us it, it really wasn't until maybe i guess like you say the, the late 90s um, mm. i was wondering if you wanted to give a definition of what social media is i've popped one in the in the um in the notes i don't know if you want to read out yeah of course so you have so just so that everybody knows what we're defining social media as Miller, Costa and Haynes in 2016 propose that social media is a collection of internet sites and applications. These allow individuals to communicate socially via electronics and to share or create content. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will actually be quite internet savvy and social media savvy, given that they are podcast listeners. Well, it creates jobs now, doesn't it, Craig? Social media has created jobs. That's another thing we have to acknowledge. Is it, that's another essential side of it now is it's kind of gone come even further and i don't know if you agree with this or not from but there's there's not kind of another dimension to it almost it's a place of now for people's income and, and also financial gain isn't it yeah it's like when you see as well a lot of people who take to instagram or facebook to sell products like perfume or the company body shop they've yeah. taken on the body shop at home so you can mm-hmm. buy makeup 
and perfumes and hair care. On one hand, I suppose that's a positive influence because it's someone's livelihood mm. and it's a way of getting their word out about their job and how they are as a person, especially in um, video streams. You can see what other people's personality traits are like. I completely agree. And I think that there is this sort of, um, in terms of social media in general, like it can be used for positive things like that. But also I'm thinking more around the idea of like the changing of images in terms of like filters and and face thinning things and teeth whitening things on photos. Do you think there's a lot of pressure on teenagers today, particularly young women, to look perfect? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think there's so many things where even from celebrities, everyone's, well, not everyone, um, the majority seem to be photo editing their pictures, like you said. Mm. No one's posting their acne or their blemishes. And I think no one on social media really posting their failures to speak. It's always showing you the positives of what they've got, such as clear skin, having money to have surgery, having hair extensions. No one's posting really about the bad days that they have or the anxiety that they might first wake up with. It's always the, I've got this, and everyone's comparing themselves because they don't think they're good enough. So I think that's one of the biggest criticisms I have for social media. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you want to comment on that, Callum? Or? Yeah, no, 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 definitely. Sorry, I, was, I thought you were going to come in on that. Um, no, no I, I, think, I, think, I think it's a really good point. I think there is a, there is a, a large falseness to social media, isn't there? Because we present something that, that isn't entirely accurate of who we are anyway. Um, because, of course over via electronic device people don't know what we're like in person anyway do they so we have to also acknowledge straight away that there is a falseness there anyway there's a persona um and and you know kind of going along with that i suppose would that become precious to maintain said persona that's not to say people you know that that's a bad thing you know there are, there are great people on social media who do wonderful things but we also have to acknowledge that there is this great responsibility with that and social media has been a place you know you know as i've, I've sort of shown in my own research we can, we can get down to that a little bit um is that you know it can be a place for bullying it can be a place for persecution and you know it can also be a place of, of, of great harrowing experiences i mean I, I mean i don't know about you craig i didn't personally experience cyberbullying because when i was when i was at school social media was still very much in its infancy i know we had i know we had kind of you know the chat rooms and stuff they existed but in terms of on a widespread scale it wasn't until maybe about a year after i left school that kind of there was the big boom with social media where facebook went really big and then obviously instagram appeared and you know i think i think when i I think when I was in school, I mean, I, di I didn't again. I didn't have these accounts, but it was it was it was known as MySpace and Bebo, wasn't it? The only one I ever had when I was in school was um, was MSN. Mm. It was the same actually, same as you. Mm. I only had MSN, but I wouldn't say that I was exhibited to any form of cyberbullying at that point in my childhood. Mm. Um, but I would say that you know it, it was a wonderful thing back in the nineties, back in the noughties. You know, like you could communicate with people. You really could. And yeah. I remember rushing home from school and getting all excited because I can go and talk to my favourite people on MSN and changing the status to online uh, and changing your name. And I always remember that people used to always put their crushes in the name. 
And I was like, is that a thing? Do people do that? But something quite genuine about that, isn't there? There's something quite genuine about that, isn't there? I suppose, as opposed to today's social media, which is very different, it's quite a genuine thing, isn't it? In a way, in a way. Yeah, like kind of you, you've been a bit more self-expressive. So I don't know what Absolutely. you think about that, Fran. I don't know if you use MSN, but I always found it. I mean, I'm certainly not saying it was great. There, there, there was issues with it, but there was something quite genuine about it because you kind of controlled how how the profile was, didn't you, and what you conveyed. Yeah, I agree. And I was quite similar, really. I only really used to have MySpace or MSN. I don't think I joined Facebook until I was about 15, 16. But with mm. MSN as well, you could, like you said, you could control your status, who you spoke to, and what sort of personal information you wanted. And is it just me, or did people tend to have, like, really weird email addresses back in the noughties? Like, I don't know, like, um, X Princess, X Sparkle, whatever it was. And no, before you say it, Callum, that wasn't my email address. <laughs> you read my mind. Are you sure? I'm quite sure, Fran. <laughs> There's no judgment here, Craig. There's no judgment, by the way. We're all accepting on this podcast. You know this. No, I know. I know you are, but no, sorry to disappoint you. I wasn't X Princess X Sparkle. That sounds like a, a cool name in real life. It does, it does really. It does. Maybe that can. That's a bit of twang to it. If I ever That's take a copyright, up, that. If I ever take up drag, I might use that name. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> But yes, it's probably already been taken. Probably. I mean, one thing I will say, Craig, is for my own research, I was first kind of, I mean, I was thrust into a bit bit like you, Fran. I I was thrust into Facebook probably about 16. So I'd already left school by the time I joined Facebook. All my peers were on it, I remember, but I I never actively engaged. It wasn't until I had left that I joined it. And then as I went to university and I started becoming more expressive, um, that's when I started kind of looking into social media. And obviously, one, one key instant that stuck six out in my research and you might guys might have heard but you might not have done it a, a woman called amanda todd um died she was a, ch- she was a child actually from cyberbullying. i think that was in 2013 it might have been 2012 actually i need to get my dates right and that was a big thing for me because she was bullied basically bullied to death so that's that kind of influenced my research then going forward into bullying and why i became a bullying researcher yeah what what i haven't explained to fran Maybe I should have explained it prior. What I haven't explained to you, Fran, is that Callum is currently doing his PhD in counselling and trauma at Chester. So um, he's quite quite well versed in research and things like that, aren't you? He's also very. No. You're also very interested. I mean, it is. It's very interesting. And having read some of Callum's work, I can definitely see that there's like a need for his work. There's a niche for it. Um, But I'll I'll send you his papers at the end of the episode, by the way. So Callum is a a bullying researcher at Chester and he's currently doing his PhD there. So just to give you a little bit of context to what he said there. But in terms of like our experiences of social media, would you say there's anything anything specific about cyberbullying that makes it different to regular bullying, Callum? Yeah, I mean, the thing, the difference with with cyberbullying to, to, to other forms, obviously, without being too too um, too obvious, obviously it takes place over an electronic device. But what what people don't realise with cyberbullying, I think this is what makes it so insidious, is that it occurs all the time. And unlike when we're in the school environment, or if you whatever. In 
environment, be it work, be it you know out in the street, be it, you know wherever. There's a let up from bullying when you when we were younger because we could kind of go in and, and escape it for a little while, or if it was taking place in your home, maybe you could escape it when you went out. Um, but with cyberbullying, it takes place all the time, and I kind of put that you know kind of in, in, in the notes uh, beneath you know for Bernardo and Heimel that they propose that cyberbullying flourishes in a computer-generated atmosphere, allowing the perpetrator to harass an individual at any point in total anonymity if they have to. And if you know that's the thing as well, it flourishes in a twenty-four hour mediated society. And it's I think there was one theory you coined it like an online playground, basically a cyber playground. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's a really interesting way of terming it because it gives you that image of a literal playground, doesn't it? Where you're sort of meeting thousands of different people all, all over the internet, and I just think that really pictures it and explains what it is. But in ter- in terms of examples of cyberbullying, I've got a couple of, of listed here from safeteens.org, and they say instant messaging or texting harassment, sending mean messages to others or posing as a victim online, sending inappropriate photos or sending death threats, stealing passwords, posing as the victim, ending the victim's online profile or editing it, rather, not ending it, editing the victim's online profile to include personal information and also locking people out of their accounts. Or, you know, there's things like websites, creating sites and blogs or posting on other people's personal pictures and information that they actually didn't want up on the internet. And also they can send pictures through email, cell phones of loads of different things. And it's just a way of sending lots of different information about different people around. And I do think it's a bit of an epidemic in terms of, you know, sending information, particularly in this day and age where we, we... We are so careful with the idea of confidentiality and GDPR regulations. I'm about to start a new job shortly coming up. Uh, They've already said to me, I've got a lot of training to do on GDPR and confidentiality because it's a new it's a new job. Need to know how to work within the means of confidentiality under that new role. But it just really goes to show that the internet can be a place where confidentiality can be breached, I suppose. Yeah. And I think I think Craig as well, like, you know, I think what we have to acknowledge in terms of like the negativity is that obviously with cyberbullying or other forms of harassment, you know, they can lead to um, severe psychological issues such as, you know, obviously suicide attempts to use anandotonics as an example, you know, completing suicide, uh, the person become a more becomes more isolated and they often feel like they're a burden to others so i think it's very important that we acknowledge how serious this is i mean i don't know about you fran i mean you know kind of you know you talked about working in mental health and with 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 children and etc did they report anything experiences of of, of negativity online or um not them directly but i completely agree i think it's something that makes us as people very vulnerable there's a big thing in the news about people having indecent photos of them being leaked by their partner like um hate crimes so that's a big thing in the news at the moment and I think it's something that's always been there but we're only really coming here about it more so now and I think that is a message to especially young people as well not to, to seriously think about their relationship and if they want to send things like indecent pictures to their partner just because it puts you in a very vulnerable position mm. yeah certainly I think and I think one thing I would say as well going off the hate crime just to turn that another way as well is that I never obviously I knew the far right for example existed uh, but I think these social media platforms are giving people like the far right like you know like EDL like Britain First just to get use examples 
roles. Proud Boys, you know, they've given them them further platforms to recruit more people and spread messages of hate also. So I think even politically, even though social media can be absolutely used for brilliance, you know, such as the Black Lives Matter movement, it's fantastic, but it can also equally be used by negative, you know, in terms of negative aims for political gain as well. Mm, it's frightening how brilliant the internet is, but that it can be such a good resource, but people just choose to use it for evil, I suppose. Not mm. to be dramatic there, but people are evil and sometimes they do use it for evil things. Absolutely. And I think being in a culture or society where we are so addicted to our phones, and I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I just sit on my phone and I think, oh, I'm just going to quick scroll on Facebook or Instagram. I'll only be five, ten minutes and then before I know it, three hours later, I've wasted my life because I've just scrolled without so really like, paying much attention. The other day I downloaded TikTok and I thought, oh, I'm not going to really be into it. Over a week, I must have lost hundreds of hours. I dread to think about it. But you can see how people just get so lost into like chat rooms, getting further into social media, getting into contact with people who probably aren't a good influence as well. And that's how it can link back into bullying, cyberbullying, hate crimes, things like that. Mm. Sexual harassment's been massively normed over the internet as well, hasn't it, Fran? Like, you know, if you think, and I don't yeah. know if you agree with this, Craig, as well, you know, in terms of, in terms of kind of, I mean, I mean, well, for men as well, but predominantly women, you know, let, let's, let's not, let's not struggle with it. Women experience a massive amount of sexual harassment over the internet and it's almost been normal, you know, kind of, it's almost been normalised, you know, now it's almost like, oh, like, you know, I got this dick pic the other day, it was disgusting, but then that, then it kind of goes no further and it's kind of like, if you behave that way in the street, um, you would be arrested. Why is it no different and why why is it so normal um, over the, over the internet? You know, it's, it's really strange how we've, it's, it's almost encouraged misogynistic behaviour, isn't it? Completely, yeah. completely agree with that, Callum. And I, I, by the sounds of it, Fran agrees with it as well. I mean, we were going to talk about this in a different episode, but I might as well bring it in now anyway, because I don't know, has anybody read this? So for listeners... No, but I, I, intend to, I intend to. You can borrow no. my copy. So for listeners, I'm holding up a book called Men Who Hate Women by the fabulous Laura Bates. And it's a fabulous book. I'm halfway through it at the moment. I haven't finished it. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to The Therapy Files. We are back with part two. We were slightly rudely interrupted there by Zoom. As I was saying, I was going to mention this book. We're going to mention it in an episode anyway of its own, but I think this book really explains a lot about misogyny and how it sort of, as a community, began to sort of hate women, basically. And it exists. She talks about a community called An Incel. And I hadn't, I had no idea what an incel was 
But apparently an incel is a group of people that originally started as a social group because incel actually stood for involuntary celibate. So it was a group of people that were not having sex, basically. But it it was sort of changed. The meaning behind it was sort of changed to be negative sometime after the initial founder started the, the website. And it just spiralled out of control. And basically it became a community where men started to really hate on women and it tried to indoctrinate new members but there are many different incels around the web now according to this book but yeah is it just kind of like an approach kind of promoting misogyny it was it was yeah oh my goodness that's terrifying i mean it's, it's interesting actually because i don't know if you know much about the origins of the ku klux Klan either but that was originally made as a working men's club and that over time basically transitioned into into a far right, obviously terrorist hatred group. But that was a bit a bit like incel. It was kind of created with I mean, I don't know if it's created with noble intentions per se, but it was created with harmonious intentions, I assume, but was soon kind of kind of rolled into that. So it's interesting to see that that kind of cultural change happening online now, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know what to say to that. Other than yes, I agree. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, point is, people are not using the web for what they should be using it for, which is more positive usages rather or genuine, than or genuine or genuine usages. We can, we can say we're sad, can't we? We can be honest and say, like, like you know, I don't want to kind of put that out there. We can say we're sad on the internet, and that it's okay to be sad, or if we're struggling, and that that's more positivity, you know. Yeah, of course, and I think maybe that's why Fran started the group uh, the whatsapp group that you actually started uh, because you wanted to make a space for people didn't you i suppose yeah so the first time around we went into lockdown i just wanted to emphasize really i set up a whatsapp group to help people have someone to talk to if they felt down or lonely or if they just wanted to have a chat and i think especially with lockdown if you are acting as a carer for family members friends or if you just live on your own sometimes it can be quite isolated and then luckily we've carried it on throughout the lockdowns and i hope that we keep it going in lockdown or out of lockdown but I think it's important to have a non-judgmental group mm. so you can just post in how you're feeling or if you just want to see how everyone's day is going. I think it's quite important to have that sort of encouragement sometimes, especially if you do feel anxious or down, because I know a lot of people aren't going to want to put that to Facebook or Instagram because they see it as you can only put the good stuff on there. Mm. It's very true. It's very true. Fran. It sounds like it's a real safe space. That's the, that's kind of, I suppose that's the word that came to my mind is it feels like a, just a safe zone for people to to kind of explore and present issues that they might not want to put otherwise that makes sense yeah and i think we're still in this very much culture where online we have to put on this persona and sometimes in real life as well that we have to act a certain way for people to like us or we need to keep things like depression mental health if you feel like you're in a crisis we're still very much feeling that we can't really talk about it people that and it might especially in places like the workplace or online because we're going to think people are going to see us in a different light and that shouldn't really affect us as a person Mm. and i think it kind of it kind of links to us putting up this persona and it linking into play, into social media such as dating apps as well, like yeah. Tinder. And a lot of people pick and choose their photoshopped pictures 
they put in a good autobiography online and it's going to that extent that are we really showing our true selves online mm, definitely it's that persona isn't it I, I think i think you're absolutely right um, it's interesting actually you say that and it, i was kind of because i think i remember i remember a colleague of mine doing a study on kind of suicide attempts um from facebook and, and other social media platforms and it was kind of leading up to people putting on there how they were feeling and people weren't taking them seriously and kind of almost, you know, claiming they were an attention seeker or, or whatever, whatever words. And uh, it's just really interesting how that negative. And then once they died, like, for example, once they passed away, people were very much like, oh, why didn't they come and speak to me? You know, I'm always here. You know, we would have listened to you. And, it, and it's almost like, well, no, not, not really, because that, what, what do you expect? You know, when, you, when you're presenting somebody with such negativity. Yeah, exactly. And it's like the whole thing around the death of Caroline Flack. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because she's in the line, a lot of people don't think that she would be affected to comments. Mm. Whereas just because someone appears fine on the outside doesn't mean that they're not struggling behind closed doors. <laughs> and there was a lot of, I think, Chester Bennington, the singer of Linkin Park. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. day before he committed suicide, his wife posted a video on Twitter, I think it was, of him laughing. And the next day he committed suicide. So it just shows that you don't really know what's going on in someone's mind and how powerful it can be. Cool. Um, and I think this, this sort of subject, a lot of people are quite wary of approaching because yeah. they don't know how to. Yeah. I don't know about you, Callum, but that puts me in mind of a, one of my favourite social theorists, and I know he's one of your favourite social theorists as well, Irving Goffman, and the dramaturgical metaphor. I always loved the dramaturgical metaphor, and I, I like to use it as an example wherever I can, so I'm going to use it now. But I, th- I, th- I think perhaps the way in which we present ourselves is the front stage self. So there was, for Goffman, there was two separate selves. There was the front stage self and the backstage self. And he viewed life as a stage. Um, I mean, Shakespeare also viewed life as a stage, but then again, you know, he said, well, life's a stage, but it is what it is. Um, the, The front stage is sort of like presenting the really positive bits, the really giving giving people highlighted, edited versions of ourself. Whereas the backstage, we we talk more around the idea of the real self, the self that we don't put out there, the insecurities, um, sort of the discussions around how we are truly feeling. And I think some of the work that you have done over this particular lockdown, Fran, is to sort of merge the backstage self with the front stage and sort of just create an open stage rather than having two separate stages. You've sort of, by creating this WhatsApp group, you've sort of opened it up to people and you've said, this is a space that everybody can talk in and will not receive any judgment. And I just really, really like what you've done with it. So you've sort of brought the dramaturgical metaphor out into the open and you've got rid of that barrier, I suppose. Uh, also, this was an interesting point, isn't it? Mm, I know Goffman yeah. would be very, be very interested in that, definitely. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, Fran, and please completely bat my question away if it's if it's if it's um, if you don't want to answer, that's absolutely fine. But I was just wondering, as as a woman on on social media, do you feel those pressures, or have you ever have you felt kind of ever discriminated against by other people? Have you ever discriminated? Felt? Have you ever been discriminated against? I suppose is what I'm asking you. Um, I don't feel like I have been discriminated. I do feel that there's quite a lot of pressure to to look okay. a certain way more so. Mm-hmm. I think 
it's so easy to compare yourself to other people, especially other women who have full face of like makeup, edited photos, hair extensions, and that sometimes brings a negativity to how you perceive yourself. I think, especially with men as well, it's all. It, I just think sometimes as a female, you don't feel good enough with how you look, mm. and because you're stereotyped to look a certain way, yeah. especially on magazines and in the newspaper, there's always someone with clear skin who is a size zero or size eight which there's nothing wrong with that some people are naturally skinny but i think people are beautiful in their own way regardless of how they look on the outside beauty Mm. skin deep isn't it yeah i think there's quite a lot of pressure in how to look to look a certain way as well yeah no i think that's really interesting i I have my one of my friends um fran she she's very big on tiktok she has an only fans account you won't mind me saying and she she receives harassment daily how she looks um she's very alternative looking she's she's extremely beautiful actually and i don't mean that in a, from a male's perspective i just mean that in a in a factual way she's, she's lovely to look at and um but she receives horrendous sexual harassing and messages you know misogynistic messages from male men and women and she really struggles with that and it, it's just absolutely appalling it never fails to shock me some of the things that she gets I don't know if that makes sense and, and the pressure she's done to look a certain way as well yeah. do you guys feel a certain pressure as a from a male perspective I'll let you take that one Craig go on I would say yes actually Oddly enough, yes, um, because I've, I've sort of, social media has sort of made me be very careful about the photographs that I put on. Because if my double chin is in there, will be tied anybody? You know, like I I don't look I don't like my double chin, and if I find photos with my double chin in, I don't think that's the real me. But it is the real me, and I I need to accept that. But I am very, very guilty of applying a black and white filter. I am a fan of a black and white filter. I can't I can't help it for listeners. Callum is currently shaking his head in disgust or surprise. No, no, I'm not, not sure which. Not in not, not in the slightest. More <laughs> more smiling. Um, because obviously I see you very differently more than anything. And I mean that's a compliment. I see you very differently. So I'm smiling more in a uh, in an empathic loving way accepting way that's what I'm looking for thank you Carolyn. I am quite partial to a Snapchat filter though oh who yeah. doesn't love the cat ears and the dog ears oh. amazing well, but even they even though them though Craig even they one of them the dog ears I mean they were called and it's not my wording by the way it's a societal word they were called the hoe filter for a while weren't they don't you, don't you heard that so really they were, I didn't hear they, that yeah, so even they were using sort of, you know in a misogynistic sense as well wow I didn't know that yeah, absolutely so it's a strange one, isn't it? It's, it's interesting, you know. Um, not just, you know, I, I know men, men experience, you know, you know, one thing I, I have learned over the internet actually is, um, which has been quite nice, is, is there's been a lot of anti toxic masculinity stuff, which is really good. But men obviously do still play into them stereotypes online and often won't talk about their feelings. And I think it's so important as men, Craig, that we. We are open with our feelings because, like I say it all the time, there's a reason why 80 men a week take their own lives. And it's because we're taught to behave in a certain way and act in a certain way, and it's you know, it's complete nonsense. And um, I suppose that, I suppose, as a bloke, in a way, in a way, Fran, I feel I feel a little bit of pressure, I suppose, because obviously I'm not a masculine male, and I, I suppose how I kind of kind of the roles reverse because I'm now in kind of a position of power, I suppose, as a counselor and as a as a researcher. I, I suppose there's a bit of pressure on there for me 
feeling like I almost have to save everybody, which I, I, I know I don't. Uh, but I always feel like I have to present in a certain way that I always have to be vulnerable when, no, I don't you get what I mean. Yeah, I think there's a big pressure on men, especially in the news, in magazines, on social media, because for a long period of history, men have been brought up not to talk about their mental health or their feelings. Men are perceived and stereotyped to not cry, to be the big alpha male that goes to the gym. So I think it's important that we have have more males who do feel comfortable with standing up to talk about how they're feeling just because it might encourage other men to talk about their experiences i read on the mind website the mind charity website that since this second part of lockdown two-thirds of people who experienced a mental health crisis before felt that their mental health has worsened which is a big statistic and i think as females we're stereotyped to be the weaker set so mm. to speak which isn't true mm. but women have always um seem to appear that it's okay to cry to have the feelings mm. and females can be quite open to talking about mental health online mm-hmm. more so than men yeah it's interesting i don't know if you remember this craig a few years ago but i once used to, i used to do kind of a, a weekly status fram for people for men it, you know it certainly wasn't anti-women or anything like that but i used to ask ask men how they were feeling each week and i did it for about three months you did um, but I got an overwhelming amount of hatred from a lot of women who were messaging me, calling me a misogynist, an anti-female, because I wasn't including the women in that. And it wasn't about that at all. It was actually about encouraging men to speak up. And anybody who knows me on a personal level knows I'm actually a, a massive feminist. I'm a huge feminist. And I've all, I always have been. But I'm also, I was also, and I am, I am very informed that as a male, we are in a position of vulnerability when it comes to mental health. And as a counsellor at the time, I, I felt I had this responsibility to my fellow men on, on Facebook who, who I knew. To, to, to put that out there but I was very much met with with derision and, and, and almost kind of the pitchfork witch hunt mental mentality you know and it was very quite horrible actually. that's a nice thing to be on the, the end of I can imagine no it's, especially because it goes against everything I believe in as well you know in terms of I think, I think if, 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 if maybe if maybe there's some truth to it maybe I was misogynistic or if I, if I was anti-female you know maybe I could have took it on the chin a little bit but you know I think it hurt more because I've always been so pro-female rights and so you know striving for equality and I, I always say to Craig, you know, I, I never believed feminism was about eradicating men. It was about bringing inequality into play. And I think I think people completely misconstrued what I was doing there, which was actually trying to save men from killing themselves. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And it really does surprise me that you you actually received some hate for doing a, a check-in with people. Can I be cheeky and ask you, what did it feel like to receive that hate? Um, I mean, I'm quite, I'm not saying because I'm a man, I'm saying just in general because of my experiences with bullying in the past you know I've written written extensively about them because I'm blue in the face I have quite a hard shell when it comes to kind of people saying things to me but obviously it does take me back to the time I was bullied and it felt like a little bit like that then but I think what set me more crazy is they just got it so so wrong it was just so it was just so untrue and it wasn't about excluding women at all it wasn't about and I suppose, I suppose I can understand why they felt that way because I was asking men exclusively uh, but it wasn't about excluding, excluding women as opposed to more saving men's lives you know and I even asked one of the people said would you like me to do a women's check-in a check-in each week so I'm happy to do that as well and they're like no you can't just do that now and I was like oh okay you know uh, but to me what they were doing there wasn't feminism that was persecution you know any feminist would, would probably advocate for a man uh, you know for a man to be very open about the feelings that's why we bring things into balance isn't it Craig you know showing that that femininity and showing that kind of that anti-masculinity for a man is yeah. very important you know very important and I think people 
most men who do show their feelings expressively are feminine. Mm. I don't think we can ex- inexplicably uh, separate the two. I think showing emotion and acknowledging emotion is a feminist act. And if any if anybody is listening to this and knows of any research around emotion as a feminist act, please do get in touch because I'd love to read that research. Please do let me know if, if that is a thing or if it's just something I've just made up. But I, do, I don't think it couldn't be a feminist act because it is they go hand in hand don't they they do they do you can't separate them and no. um, I'm I'm going to be honest my, my own experience of social media while it has been brilliant over the years and it connects me with so many different people and you know it keeps me in touch with people like Fran uh, like yourself and like people from America, pen friends and all of that, while it has been brilliant, there has been times where it has sort of affected me in terms of my mental health because I have found myself, like Fran, scrolling through social media at 3am. And actually, to be honest, I felt very lonely. Lonely place, Actually, I was sort of judging myself against others because of what they put on social media. So, for example, specific life goals, people were getting married, you know, and I sort of felt left behind because I have no partner and people were having children while I was absolutely delighted for them. As somebody in their very late, very, very late 20s, um, I'm 30 next year, you know, I sort of felt like there was... There was a time clock on things and it sort of made me think, God, I'm not keeping up with anybody else. You know, I know I know that everybody has their own goals and their own attitudes and opinions, but I did genuinely feel that I wasn't keeping up with the norm um, for my age group. And it just affected me. And I, I did I did think at one point Facebook was just like a rolling sonogram one after the other. I mean, I, I, I say that with tongue in cheek, but everybody seems to be posting sonograms or whether whether it was just my age group or what I don't know but it was just like oh such and such is having a child such and such is having a child oh next week you know they're also having a child as well I mean not that I wasn't delighted for these people yourself included Callum I was very very delighted for you very delighted for you and Fran a different Fran for the listener just in case (laughs) any confusion between our current guest and Callum's Francesca um but it's strange hearing someone having the same name as me because it's not a very common name <laughs> beautiful Italian name it's lovely name a lovely name isn't it but yeah and I was just being honest I found it like a lot of pressure so I had to come off it for a while but even so I do think social media does create pressure for people I really agree with you on that point Craig because I think it kind of gives people the timeline and like you I'm 28 this well I'm 29 this year mm-hmm. well I don't count this year because I did none of us used it so I'm still 27 right in my so head anyway. you, you, you're um, doing 2020 in 2021 then are you Fran yeah I, I want a refund on this year Excellent. I didn't use it um I think seeing other people who are getting engaged getting married having kids 
it puts a lot of pressure on us because we think oh, we're nearly 30 we should have our lives together by now yeah. like my parents were married had me and they had their own house by 21 and 22 so I think I kind of aspired to be like that um, I'm now 28 I rent I don't have a partner and preferably I don't want kids which is a massive I wouldn't say burden but it's a big thing for women to be seen in society to be married have children and a lot of people we're in a time where people are still shocked when I say I personally don't want children like in the future I wouldn't mind adopting or fostering but mm-hmm. personally oh that's my opinion a lot of people I think they're like really shocked about it but everyone's at their own peace well, it's very true it's very true and you know one thing I would say to you just 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 straight response to that it's I've always believed and I don't, you guys can correct me if you think I'm wrong but I always believed that being able to become a mother you know to have children is an extension of womanhood not the sole purpose of it that makes sense. yeah I don't want to correct you, Callum, because you're not wrong. You're not wrong. In fact, I just want to echo that and say it is an extension of womanhood. You know, womanhood is being successful. Womanhood is being brave and powerful. Womanhood is actually speaking out. But also having children is just an extension of that. It is not the be all and end all. And actually, as a feminist, I do firmly believe that a woman's place is not in the kitchen. Honestly, I'm just having to put that out there there are some women who do like to be in the kitchen and that's perfectly fine that is fine but in my opinion they are not tethered to the kitchen and neither should they be you know it's 2021 for god's sake you know we can just do do away with those attitudes and i think it's a good thing to come out of modern day society there is no norm to fit in these days like now the more different you are the better so i think that's why it's good that people take to social media especially TikTok to talk about human rights transgender rights race religion disability because there's always someone out there who would feel nervous to speak out so I think it's important we do talk about these things Um, one thing I was going to say on the back of that Craig obviously I know you pulled up some statistics about social media and mental health do you want to read them out they look quite interesting to the reader Yeah, of course. Of course, according to a study that we actually discovered um, from thehelpguide.org, teenagers were actually saying that they had experienced incidents of name calling. And that was 42%, whereas spreading false rumours was at 32%. Receiving unsolicited and explicit images, you know, there was 25%. That's a quarter of the study. And having their activity tracked by a third party other than a parent, and that was 21%. And there was 16% that said they've also received physical threats. And whereas there were 7% who said they received their images, their own content was shared with consent and I just find that absolutely shocking was, was, there, any was there any positives was there any positives or not yeah there, there were some positives and, you know, just to give it a bit of yin and yang there because social media can be a good place you know, we have to acknowledge that too absolutely you know the, there was 30 I think it was 31% actually said that they saw social media as a really positive thing and 405 of them said that they used social media for connecting with 
friends and family. Whereas 18 of them used to say they use social media to find news or information. And like there was 15 people that actually said they used the social media to meet people that had the same interests as themselves. And they used social media for, for good, for positive, or for learning new things, for example. Whereas actually there was 24% compared to the 31 that actually said social media has been really negative. I just find, so most think social media is positive, but also there's like this this 41% that is neither negative nor positive. So they're not in any base camp really, but it doesn't suggest that they've not had any negative experiences, but it also... Very mixed bag, isn't it? It is, it is. And I find that interesting that there is so many different views out there and that not everybody actually falls into the same camp. So I mean, social media is great, but certainly, you know, I mean, particularly finding people who've been lost, I think that's fantastic. You know, it's, you know, reconnecting with people, people have gone missing, you know, it's really great for tracking people, you know, getting the word out fast. You know, there is positive to that. You know, we saw the Black Lives Matter movement and, and um, the, the Me Too movement that it can, can be used very powerfully you know to, to make to make positive change mm, absolutely i completely agree um i mean for those of you who actually don't know about the recent black lives matter movement where have you been first of all um because like it's all over social media not to criticize you but seriously where have you been it's all over social media and it's like massive i mean even in the uk for our american listeners there are 18 percent of our listeners are Americans. Like a lot of Black Lives Matter stuff happened over here in the UK during George Floyd's murder. Um, and there was an outcry, there was an outpouring towards that, wasn't there? Uh, so social media was used for the positive there, I would say, you know, to protest against what happened to George Floyd. But we very much, as, as a nation, I think, we pretty much stand with George Floyd and his family because what happened to him was abhorrent, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's quite good that even celebrities use their social status to bring awareness to it as well. So, uh, um, there's a dance group called Diversity and yeah. they campaigned a dance movement in to help support him as well. And I know the singers Halsey and Youngblood went out to protests to administer first aid for those who have got injured and things like that as well. So I thought that was quite positive. Mm, absolutely. And in terms of like, if we're looking at social media, like as a, as a thing, as, as a, can we call it an industry? I suppose. Yeah. yeah an industry. Has anybody seen the documentary on Netflix The Social Dilemma? No. no. I really want to watch it. I wanted to watch it this afternoon but my Netflix was having me on for some reason so I just grabbed some stats here about The Social Dilemma and something that The Social Dilemma as a documentary actually shows is staggeringly there was a huge amount pressure in social media where it led to self-harm among preteens in the US and 150% rise in suicides. I mean, that that is absolutely shocking. But they said that in terms of the rise in, in terms of self-harm, if I can read that graph correctly, it was like an increase in 62% in terms of self-harm between girls who were 15 to 19, where Whereas there was a higher increase of 189% 
of girls that were 10 to 14. So 10 to 14, that is a really cumulative period where girls are learning to develop as women, not just growing as women, but learning about the world around them. And to find that there's a lot of self-harm and suicidal thoughts at that age, it, it saddens me. Yeah, it's a big statistic. I think especially with young people now, because it's not the stereotypical self-harm, um, mm-hmm. In terms of, I think people stereotype it from what you see in movies. A lot of people now, they self-harm or they tie ligatures. Yeah, it is shocking, isn't it? Um, And I suppose, really, we just, we need to sort of continue that positive message, don't we? Um, in in terms of what you're doing, Fran, bringing out into the open the idea of positive mental health, really. That it's human. It is, it is. the therapy files i'm joined with my colleague callum and hello our, our guest fran hello how was your break it was good Excellent. how was your okay actually not too bad really um i tell you what callum why don't you kick us off with the dopamine cycle and sure you didn't ask me to say is. refreshing like normal normally i say refreshing but you left me off that one i mean on. how was your callum <laughs> Refreshing, as always. Excellent. I need to come up with a different word, don't I? Like alleviating if I use the loo or something like that. I need to come up with something more, more funny. Um, anyway, do. I need to trademark that, for that that sentence as well. Yeah, so the dopamine cycle. So essentially the dopamine cycle, well, for those who don't know, dopamine is a chemical that's released into the brain and it's often in response to things that we enjoy. And so similar, sorry, it's a similar chemical to serotonin um, or cortisol where essentially when it, when it goes through the brain, it helps, us, it helps lift and also decrease our mood depending on how much of it we have it, um, in that moment in time when engaging on social media um a bit similar to obviously for example if a person takes a drug or alcohol or a form of stimulant um, the dopamine in the brain increases so if a person gets a notification uh, if they get a validation on there um, it sends the same messages to the brain as for example taking i don't know cocaine would for that period of time but similar to similar to drugs and similar to other form of stimulants such as alcohol there's also a depressive cycle as well and that's kind of what we have to acknowledge with social media is that it absolutely um causes us validation it absolutely causes happiness but there's also the other side of it where it 
can cause loneliness, isolation and depression as well. Yeah. Has anybody experienced that just before we move on? Like, has anybody experienced that with the social media? Have you ever gotten to the point where you're like, you know what, I'm fed up of it? <laughs> I'll let you take that one, Fran. What, what, what about you? All the time. I go through phases where sometimes I think I'm definitely going to have a break. I'm not going to use it today. And then in the next breath, I'm glued to my phone. All my phone's automatically man. But I think when I was younger, I was that addicted and obsessed with using social media. I'd never think to stop using it. And I used to think, oh my God, it's the only way I can talk to my friends. But now, as I've got older, I kind of think it's not all that bad if I don't use my phone. So I'm trying to use things like listening to podcasts or read more or go for a walk rather than using my phone. Excellent. Excellent. How are you finding the listening to podcasts in general? Because it, it seems to be a new thing for you from the conversations we've had. Yeah, I'm starting to really like them. Obviously, I'm really into listening to what you guys were saying, and that's what kickstarted it. Oh, thank you. We'll slip, we'll, we'll slip you that tenor afterwards. <laughs> yes, alcohol money from when we go back to normal. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Um, I'm a big fan of the, and I've mentioned it quite a lot anyway, the Fern Cotton Happy Days podcasts. And I started listening to those first time round in lockdown, and she into interviews a handful of celebrities each week who have also experienced some mental health or loneliness during lockdown the good Excellent. ones I quite like are the Russell Brand and the Stephen Fry ones and they give you quite a lot of things to listen to but, and I'm also a bit weird I quite like the paranormal ones as well oh, there's nothing wrong with paranormal I think that could be a goal for us Callum in terms of getting celebrities on the podcast <laughs> let's start with Stephen Fry <laughs> yeah I don't think I'll be able to so talk halfway through I don't think I'll be able what to talk about, if Stephen Fry appeared what about Gemma Collins she's quite big at the moment <laughs> I'm not a big fan I'm not a big fan of Tally I'm afraid so reality TV is not for me Fran I mean I, I would certainly talk to her don't get me wrong and if, if she wanted to discuss world issues I would absolutely talk with her but oh god I'd, I'd rather sit um, pins, pins in my eyes and watch that absolute trash sorry if any Tally people are listening to this let's just stick with Stephen Fry for now yeah maybe David Attenborough oh I think he'd be brilliant actually he'd be really good I like David Attenborough but I have I have to mention one thing on here so David I'm really sorry but I have to call this out as a vegetarian the fact that he is a meat eater and produces animal things uh, sorry as, as a vegetarian myself I, the fact he's a meat eater and does po- documentaries on animals really annoys me um, so David stop being a hypocrite and become vegetarian um, what about you guys what do you feel about your use of social media we were discussing this last night I suppose before we even started this podcast and I think personally I use it a bit too much I have particularly used it a lot during the lockdown and it's become I've become dependent on it and I've become dependent on messaging people and I think it has become sort sort of an addiction. I need to work on scaling it back. So I'm going to challenge myself over the next month or so to scale down my social media interaction besides podcast work. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I, I mean, for myself, Ron, I, I try not to really use social media very often. I do use it. I, like I said, I think I said to you yesterday, I, I do use, like, for example, Instagram when I'm posting um, photos. I don't really use Facebook unless it's kind of for a special occasion. I might update my status for example um, so for example I did I did Mother's Day I did International Women's Day so if it's something quite poignant and obviously I'm, as you probably can tell I'm sure everybody agrees that I'm, I'm quite opinionated um, so if I've got something and I feel quite strongly about it I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there you know, especially if it's about spreading awareness and, and bringing issues to a certain point I was quite vocal for example with the LM I was very vocal because I, I don't really like the royal family but obviously I, I don't have an issue with Meghan Markle as a person um, I'm not I'm not particularly fond of the royal family but I didn't like how she was treated I didn't like the, the response to her mental health I didn't like the response to 
that so I was quite vocal about that um but actual actual use of social media like Facebook I don't really use it I don't scroll because I'm not really brutally honest I'm not really interested in what other people post and that's not that's not in an arrogant way I just literally I literally just don't really take much of an interest I, I use it more, more to be honest the only, the only person I really message on Facebook Craig um that's about it privileged <laughs> people message me more on WhatsApp I use probably use, if I had to pick what I use more than anything probably WhatsApp that'd be that'd probably what I use more than anything because obviously I message clients on there I message my supervisor on there and obviously I have a WhatsApp group with my my doctorate doctorate colleague students on there as well so that'd be the one I use the most anyway recently Meghan Markle spoke out about her mental health in terms of social media so what is everybody's opinion of Meghan Markle's recent interview with Oprah and what do we think about how she sort of presented her mental health and was completely honest about it do we think it's Good thing. No, I, I think I think it's a really good thing, and I, I think I've got huge respect for Meghan Markle for, for talking about it. And I think it's really good that somebody in her position should, you know, is speaking about it. I think it, I think it's appalling how it was handled by the royals, and I think it's appalling that clearly this is, we all knew this anyway that it, what a racist institution it is. I mean, I, I've got no love for the royal families, and I actually don't have any love for Meghan Markle either. Then that's nothing against her personally. Mm. I just don't like the institution that she was once a party to. I've got a lot of respect for mental health though, and I think it's really good she called out the racism. But one thing I always have to put in there as well is we have to understand there's a massive class divide here i'm certainly not saying that mental health doesn't touch class of course it doesn't matter where you come from you can have mental health problems but what i will say is she's got a lot of better access to treatment than a lot of us do so for example me and you craig we wouldn't or Graham, we, w- we wouldn't be waiting we would be waiting for a long time before we could access help whereas for herself she can access it whenever she wants to and that's not saying that i don't have sympathy for her or empathy i absolutely do but we have to acknowledge that she is in a position of privilege in terms of accessing support you get me mm. from from my perspective i i am incredibly pleased that she spoke out about what she spoke out about because that's what that's her experience that's what she's going through but what Certainly. really really frustrated me was the public's response I mean I know she's got the celebrity background I know she's married to Prince Harry but the way in which people were saying actually no she's lying she's just she's just an actress in terms of training counselling training I've been taught that if somebody says I have suicidal thoughts and terrible mental health we have to take them seriously and it annoys me that mm. the general public kind of didn't definitely I didn't actually watch the interview I think I'm the only person in the world who didn't watch it I only watched but, five minutes <laughs> but on one I do think it's a good thing that she's spoken out about things like racism and mental health because yeah. it, especially with the royal family it's they're never really topics that come up so I think it's good that she's kind of broken a silence on it it does sadden me though that a lot of people say that she's just been an actress about mental health she's just saying she's got these feelings because she's an actress but Caroline Flack was under the same sort of scrutiny and I don't think it's ever something that's going to completely go away and, and that, that just angers me a little bit no from you yeah absolutely yeah. you have every right to feel that way from because at the end of the day there always has and there always will be a stigma attached to mental illness yeah and i think it's i think a lot of people struggle with mental health because it's not something you can see really to an extent whereas with quite a lot of physical disabilities i think because people can't see it or they struggle to see some aspects of it they think that it's not entirely there or true and we kind of need to go against that stereotype really not completely agree I mean you wouldn't know looking at me but I take mental health medication. I, I do. I take Venlafaxine. I have 365 milligrams a day with a glass of orange juice. And that is how I start my day because I have anxiety and have depression. Again, you wouldn't know unless you directly spoke to me about those issues because I present a happy exterior. But most people who have mental health issues always present as fine. And it's not unless we have that conversation that actually 
financially. We find out that people are struggling. You, you can go to work on a daily basis and still feel suicidal. You can get up in the morning and feel like your world is ending. You can go about your day, but still it feels like the rest of the world is against you and you become self-loathing of, of the person that you are. And I think people need to realise that it's difficult. Yeah, so. I think it's, I think more people are slowly starting to talk about their experiences with mental health. But I think even in 2021, I'm still surprised it's taken us this long to even start scratching the surface. I mean, mental health is such a big subject that's not just your typical anxiety or depression anymore. And I think we just got, we've just got to reinforce with, especially how we spoke about men, men's mental health, young people's mental health, and just push people to talk about their experiences. And, and with that in mind, what I did prior to the recording of this podcast, for the first time, I opened the floor to questions, or I should say rather, we opened the floor to questions to our followers on social media, ironically. And actually, they responded, and they responded with some very interesting questions. So the first question is, what do you think can be done to combat hateful comments against the individual? The individual? Who, who's the individual, Craig? Against an individual. Sorry. Oh, an individual. Sorry. Right. Yeah. No, no. I hear you. Uh, for, for myself, it would be stricter, stricter laws within society about trolling, about about harassment via social media. And I think it's also up to the social media uh, networking site, whichever that may be, to enforce strict, strict um one filters but two um, banning procedures for people who are, who are doing that because I think it's we see it far too often that people can incite hate on social media and they're able to come back uh, using either a different account or the same one because of lax rules mm-hmm. You make some really great points there Callum and I, I do think it's important that we we lay the book in some distinction towards the, the social media site because they have to do something to protect the users Yeah definitely Yeah I definitely think there should be some stricter filters in place and on social media and in society as well because mm-hmm. a lot of these comments are very hurtful. I, I, I completely agree on that front. The next question, so to the individual that asked that question, we hope you're satisfied with our responses. Um, if you're not, come back to us and we will go into more depth at some point. But the next question is how can people generally protect themselves on social media? We've talked about how to combat the idea of hate of the individual but how can we actually protect ourselves on social media i guess the big thing is to set our own our own pages whether that's on twitter facebook instagram as private so at least then if you get followers they can request to follow you so you have that power declining strangers and only accepting those friends or family and just limiting what sort of information or photos that you put on social media yeah i agree and i think that's quite important for young people as well so i think when you're younger you can't Kind of think if you put something online, it's never going to come back to haunt you, so to speak. Mm. What do you think on that, Craig? What, what's, your, what's your opinion on that? I just think, again, I think we have to be careful with who we add on our social media. I do feel that there needs to be tighter controls available. But I do think we just really need to be cautious and consider really who is behind the profile picture because it might not always be the person you think it is. I don't know. Has anybody seen that programme? on BBC it's on 11 o'clock on every every weekday it's got Kim Marsh and uh 
a famous DJ and they look at investigative fraud where people have been conned out of thousands and thousands of pounds using social media where somebody's tried to date them online and set up a false relationship. I think that is absolutely shocking because people have lost thousands and thousands of pounds over that because people are trying to con them and I just think that's terrible. I think that links very similar to online dating as well Mm. and just be a bit wary when you use things like Plenty of Fish or Tinder or Mm -hmm. other dating websites just to be a bit conscious of what you're sharing with that person who don't entirely know who you are speaking to. Mm -hmm. So if you ever do meet up with someone on the back of that just make sure it is in quite a public place and people know where you are at all times. One thing thing I was going to say put to both of you as well kind of on the back of that question what if somebody has received hurtful messages how do you think that they could look at themselves then? Realise that the messages are the other person's issue not yours and it's just one view of who you are It's and it's not even a true reflection on who you are because that individual doesn't really know you that well they just know you through the interaction that you've had with them so far if that makes any sense Yeah I agree with Craig Um, just to remember that it's not a reflection on you as a person and I know it's easier said than done but to try and not read too much into it Yeah no absolutely to play play devil's advocate even further what if you know the person just to give just to expand on it more what do you think on that? Open up a conversation open up a dialogue and ask them and say why do you have an issue with me here I think because if you talk it out like you learn to understand from the other person's perspective so if you've communicated with somebody and they've continually not responded from from one individual perspective you might not understand why but then if you have that conversation if they actually do respond eventually um, or speak to them in a different way speak to them face to face for example and ask them have I upset you Has there, have I done anything wrong and just get clarity that way I suppose yeah I mean, yeah, no, of course it does. I mean, what, the reason why I put that to you both is because when I released my book last year, um, I, I experienced my first, I had my first experience of, I suppose you call it trolling on the internet from, from my former bullies. They um, they made fake accounts and were leaving horrible, didn't, horrible reviews on my book. Um, now, it didn't affect the sales of my book and it didn't affect the review overall of my book, but it was really hurtful. And I still find myself every now and then checking the, checking the review pages of my book. Interesting. That's horrible. Interesting though, isn't it? Just in case you haven't seen it, Fran, that's Callum's book. Okay. And that's the back. I always have to show that photo because it's lovely. <laughs> One of my favourites. And I suppose the next question is how does social media affect the mental health of children? And how can we make sure that children are safe online in terms of how can we make them aware that what we put out there is out there forever in a way? Yeah, no, that's a really good, it's a really good question. I don't know who asked that, but thank you for that. It's a, it's a really good question. I think one, we know that social media can be very valuable to children, just putting that out there. You know, it helps them keep up with their friends. It keeps a very good dialogue going and it helps people to be expressive. So I think that's a, that's a great thing. However, and it's a big however, we do know that it can lead to bullying. It can lead to loneliness. It can lead to suicidal ideation and it can lead to obviously the completion of suicide as well. And I think I think it's very important that what we do is if, if, if our child is going to engage in social media, that we make them aware of the pros and cons of it and make them aware that what they of what they're getting into, um, the, for, for good and bad, by the way, to let them know all sides of what social media is and also let them know, like you both said, before and you made a really good point that what we do on social media is a permanent thing and once we have an account say for example with Facebook you can never fully get rid of it either it's something that will be with you forever and I think from my perspective just to talk about online safety I would always say think before you post don't upload or share anything that you wouldn't want for example your parents to read you know always be comfortable with what you put on social media so I for example have occasional discussions of politics and my dad has said 
oh, why, why did you put that on Facebook? Caused like an argument between two different people. Is that on Facebook, right? He's not. He's not. Oh, right, okay. But I've spoken to him about um, something over this and he was like, just don't put your opinion on politics on Facebook. But actually, I am quite passionate about politics. It's the same about feminism. I would not put anything on Facebook that I wouldn't say in person. I am a staunch feminist. I will happily say that. And anybody who doesn't like what I post on social media, they can remove themselves from my page. Or you generally know. challenge. There's nothing wrong with challenging. As long, as, long as, it's, as long as it's done respectfully and done in a way that can be engaging, isn't it? Because people are allowed to ask questions. And that's something I, I always say. It's okay. It's okay for people to disagree with us as long as it's done in a way that isn't offensive, that isn't that isn't horrible. You know, if that makes any sense. If people want to engage me in a debate, for, you know, for example, there'll be people listening to this who think I'm a, I'm a scumbag for saying the things that I've said about the royals. And that's okay. But talk to me about it. Absolutely fine. You know what I mean? It's not a problem. It's about having an open debate. People don't agree with feminism. I, I can't understand why people don't agree with feminism, Craig. But ask me, it's not a problem. You know, we can have a conversation about it. Perhaps you know? that is a podcast for another time, I think. That would be a really interesting certainly, event. Certainly, you know. Certainly. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, for example, my bullies, if, if they wanted to have a chat with me about what happened and because they have a right to their perception of the events, I would have happily have spoken to them. Happily, not an issue. And that offer is still there for them now. But the way they went about it was, was bullying <laughs> further. So they didn't really help their cause for an argument, did they? If that makes any sense. I imagine, though, that having a, a hypothetical conversation with somebody that's bullied you in the past might be re-traumatising almost. Yeah, yeah, it would. But they have a right to ask me those questions, and that's okay. But you also have a right to say no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I do. But I'm okay. I'm okay to say yes. I'm. I feel okay to say yes. That that's that's what I was just checking. Yeah, I yeah, was yeah, just yeah. checking you weren't stretching yourself too thinly. And of course. Um, do you have anything to add on that, Fran? Or? No, I completely agree with what you guys have said. Like you said, as long as you post things that you would feel okay that other people see, like your parents or your close family and your friends. And I think it's just important to be open and honest with young people, especially whether it's our kids or friends' kids, just to be open and honest about the internet and who could be out there. Because at the end of the day, not everyone's going to agree with you and that's okay but as long as you respect each other that's the main thing I feel like you might have just summed the entire conversation up there Fran so thank you for doing that and you did it really really succinctly um, and thank a you to thing. our oh definitely a good thing definitely a good thing absolutely it just summarises that the internet is a good thing but just be careful <laughs> with young people and ourselves it's okay to have a day off social media it doesn't define who we are or our time and I think growing up it's so easy to constantly be on social media because we're trying to please other people and we're trying to maintain this persona it's okay not to use it for a day or two here and there totally true totally agree and like I said I'm going to try and uh, reduce my social media usage over the next month just to challenge myself um, other than podcast work obviously because I can't reduce that I don't want to reduce that I enjoy it but, uh, yeah I'm going to see what that happens what happens to me during those times I might be twiddling my thumbs I'll let you know <laughs> Uh, we just wanted to say a um, massive thank you to the audience who actually came up with those questions because they're fantastic. And it's great to have some audience connection, really, isn't it? Because you don't often hear back from your audience unless you know them personally. So I think that's really nice that we've had people reach out to us. And I also just want to say a massive thank you to you, Fran, for appearing on the podcast. We'll definitely have you back to discuss mental health and literature. So, I just wanted to say thanks for having me on the podcast. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, 
Oh, you're an absolute pleasure. Welcome. You've been a pleasure. You're very welcome. And also, I can't leave you out, Callum. I have to say thank you to you uh, for obviously being the consumer therapist that you actually are and considering points carefully. So thank you, everybody. Yeah. And, and thank you. For... We'll leave it there. And this episode obviously will be out on the 18th. But by the time it's up, you'll be looking forward to the next episode on the 4th of April, which I think we can tell them what that is. Yes. It's Don't about, um, it's, it's regarding, I apologise about the last name. Would you like to say her last name, Craig? Because I'm really bad at saying I cannot pronounce her last name. Is it Sarah Everard? Is Sarah saying? Everard, yes. Sarah, so it'd be regarding Sarah Everard and the current issue around women, not issue around women, sorry, the issue about women, the issue about women walking home and being safe and the fact that women's rights are continually under attack by society and predominantly right now, obviously by the police as well. And also our views as feminists and the fact that men need to step up and do better, Absolutely. I think. Certainly. Certainly. And we are, I just also have to put up there, we have the fabulous Nina coming back as well. So we will be ready. We'll be ready for a, a, a tremendous conversation there with not only a fellow feminist, but from a female's perspective and also somebody who has survived sexual violence as well. Well, until next time, everybody, keep safe and remember, manage your social media anxieties effectively and it's okay to come off them eventually if you need to. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.